How's it going, Taylor? It's good. I was thinking if we needed an alternate title for our check-ins without guests, we could call it Rob Ray's Got a Heart Out. <laughs> I have a heart out. Yes. I have a heart out, as they say in the knowledge worker business. <laughs> yeah. Heart out eight o'clock. You're helping with math homework, if I'm not mistaken. This time, history, we just wrapped up Animal Farm, the book. Oh, yeah. You were talking about enjoying that. Yeah, it's really good. Maybe I wasn't paying attention in high school, if that's possible. <laughs> but <laughs> it's quite good. The story really holds up. I'm kind of shocked that it wasn't used more during the Trump era of the United States because there was a whole lot of overlap there. Sure. It's a very, very direct metaphor for the Russian Revolution, mm -hmm. which I didn't understand at all. And so it was really great digging into Animal Farm. And then also what was cool is in her class, they would get a chapter and then they would get different articles about stuff that was happening during the Russian Revolution. And then you kind of mapped the characters in Animal Farm, whether it was Stalin or Trotsky. or Good job, whoever's teaching that. I know. Yeah. Mr. Martinez, shout out wherever you are. Yeah, he's a real hard ass, though. He doles out pretty extensive homework uh, twice a week. Maybe we should get Mr. Martinez on here. We should. We should get Mr. Martinez on here. Oh, my gosh. What do you think about homework, though? I feel like now that I have a kid that's on the eve of first grade in another six months or four months or something. Yep. Is homework worth it? Is it any good? Hmm. You know what's good? Well, I can only speak to my experience as someone who's doing homework with a person who, you know, has it on their plate. So it's easy for me to be like, I have no pressure about it, right? Where I, mm -hmm. I always remember even in college, the great thing about being done with classes is you just didn't have to think about it anymore. You know, like you could just actually turn your brain off of this constant worry state. But what's been good for us is it seems like it kind of lets you stretch out. I don't know about like math and stuff in the writing world. It kind of let us stretch out and do more freeform thinking about what we wanted to say, which feels like, you know, pretty valuable life skill that I don't know if you would get in class. When I was doing my homework, Rob, I, I did not have a study buddy that was so dedicated that they referred to my homework as our homework. That might be a pretty distinct difference here. <laughs> yeah we have a lot of fun with it really you know some days are better than others some days it's like let's just get through this <laughs> sure but what's been kind of nice is i've sort of had to get my head around just being okay with being like we're just gonna hang out and like do this together send links to one another about stuff it makes it much more kind of social and like sure stuff we would talk about anyway which feels a little bit less like here's the worksheet put the answers in she might feel differently. But. Just put more power to you. I mean, you you went out and discovered a dog crawling around the desert and just decided to make it yours. And the way that you've sort of adopted other people's current issues and concerns is really interesting and admirable, I think. Yeah, thanks. It's a lot of fun. I think what's you probably think about this with family and stuff. I feel like it's a lot of the things in my life that I never thought about before, like living an experience that I didn't imagine for myself, which is cool. It's fun to stretch outside one's comfort zone, I guess. I feel also like when we were younger, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we both had this sort of adolescent thing where you don't have as much to contribute as you will later. So most of what you contribute is your willingness to do stupid shit or <laughs> to make fun uh -huh. of somebody, you know, because in the absence of like having a lot of positive stuff to contribute a lot of those interactions become about making fun of one another and so forth. And th these are all rites of passage, of course, but I feel like I really felt very strongly myself turn that corner in the last year or two, where I just think it's really interesting talking to people who are contributing a lot to other people's lives. And I, I did not find that interesting before. And I wonder why. Yeah, that's a great point. Hmm. 
I mean, I'm I'm trying not to make myself out to be a total tool, but yeah, it's it's that similar kind of growing up a little bit and becoming interested in new types of things. I'm still engaged in badassery, but it's mostly like, oh, I can't believe I learned, you know, how to do threading in Python or whatever. Uh, <laughs> you've been hip deep in the Python. Is that true? I have. I actually just got off the phone with Kay Dart, and we are doing one of our final live fire tests for this performance. And you can watch it on twitch.tv, and our account is fine with this, so we can put it in the show notes. Definitely. Yeah, that's great. Just, I've never before planned a piece so far in advance that we have a solid month of testing time. Um, And it's been incredible because we've been knocking out all these bugs that would totally have brought the performance down. And I've had that experience a lot as a new media artist, you know, just barely shipping, you know, the alpha, like the day of, and then you walk into the performance and it just lays down on you, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a big feature of becoming a new media artist person is that like, pressure in x number of hours people are going to show up and something needs to happen (laughs) yeah for sure (laughs) the cutting of features like at the very last minute of being like well it was going to be like this but now it's going to be like this and that to me is a function of art also have you got a story you're thinking of from your own experience there oh man yeah so many i made this atm machine well it looked like an atm machine but it was actually a side-scrolling video game and because I'm me, the thing I waited to do last was the actual game itself. <laughs> <laughs> so you were working on the case or something or what? Yeah, the cabinet, you know, takes forever. And so you just keep chewing away at the cabinet. At the time I had to, there's a Mac mini inside of it. And then I just used, uh, there was this moment where people somehow thought like a roll up keyboard to put in your backpack, like like a silicone roll-up keyboard. That attracted hair really well. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's totally what it did. Um, and sawdust, in my case. Somehow those became popular. I think I think with the USB keyboard, there was this kind of explosion of ideas that like a USB keyboard could be made out of lots of different things. But anyway, what I did is I just took the silicone keyboard and cut it open and pulled the membranes out. There's kind of two pieces of plastic that have a little bit of copper on them, and when they touch, makes each key. And so then I just took the like up down left right arrows of the usb keyboard and made those the up down left right and jump buttons on the atm machine back to the the disaster that was the the game itself you know you you spend all the time on the thing it's like oh the game actually has to be kind of entertaining at least in order to make it good i went from having storyboarded out four different levels with all this sort of metaphor and storytelling and all these other things in there. And it was just like, okay, what's the most minimum thing I can do? Okay, I can get a, a photo of the library and put it in, at the end of the scene with the boss in front of it. And the goal now is to get to the library. <laughs> and that was like the whole game. <laughs> Wasn't there a beaver involved? Do I remember this right? Beaver. Yes, it was a beaver was your main character. And I picked a beaver because I didn't want it to be like gender or race specific. So using an animal is a nice way to get around that. It's also nice because like everyone can relate to it, right? Everyone thinks a beaver is funny, like or like some kind of animal thing is funny. That's true. Yeah. Did you ever read Art Spiegelman's Mouse, the graphic novel? I think that's one of the top five books that changed my life. Wow. For sure. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's a that's a good vouch. Yeah, well, my so my uh, my dad's family came through um, Canada from Belgium on the way to the United States. Okay, but his mother, who who died not too long ago, yeah, I'm not very close to that side of my family, but she, uh, she would still, you know, when she'd hear loud noises, like she would jump under the table, and and she had these stories about you know like dragging corpses out of the street and so forth during World War II. So in 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 Belgium, 
uh, I assume so. I, I don't really know the stories very well, but my, I remember my dad being really um, upset when he found that I was reading it because he felt like it was trivializing the Holocaust. But if you read it, it just takes it so seriously and it manages to deliver the content. It's sort of like a virus penetrating your cell membrane or something, right? Like the sort of art style lets it slip underneath your defenses, but then delivers a really serious and really, you know, well thought out and, and well told story, because it's not only about the Holocaust, but about contemporary relationship between the author and his dad, I, I think in the 80s, if I'm oh, not mistaken. Cool. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, just so good. Yeah, I, I just remember uh, reading it just straight through and I, I try to go back to it every couple of years. Super good. Wow. The reason I bring it up is each of the, I guess not so much ethnic divisions, but country divisions, right? The French are frogs and the uh, Jews are mice and so forth. So in some cases, countries, in some cases, religious affiliations. But I was trying to remember if there were beavers in there. Not unlike Animal Farm. We've got Animal Farm, we've got beavers, and we've got mouse. Oh, look at you, man, bringing it around. Yeah, the animals. When Rob's got a heart out, man, he's got he's to bring the fire right up top. <laughs> no, no time for a cold open. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I do have some Python questions for you. So Yeah, do it. You had mentioned, I think, last episode that you were doing some like command line interfacing work mm-hmm. for Python, and I was wondering how that experience was going and if you felt like that was still rewarding. <laughs> Oh, yeah, for sure. I've been posting a little bit about it on Instagram. It's using a library called Curses, which is part of vanilla Python distribution. So you've already got it. So Curses basically just lets you, instead of the regular command line, which is going to be spitting out a whole bunch of garbage, usually, unless you're doing a lot of black magic in terms of maintaining the types of logs it's creating. Curses lets you just just draw the screen over and over again and decide what kind of information is displayed there. So you can pick out, you know, when certain variables change just to show them bouncing up and down. So the way that that performance is going to work so that the thing doesn't have to be completely headless is there's going to be two Raspberry Pis sitting in West Virginia. And then one of them thinks about the LED matrix that has like a display. And then the other one thinks about the solenoids that allow propane to come through. And then those two Pis talk over Twitch. So they attach to the Twitch chat like little bots. And then one of them says, I've received a code and I like it. And then the other one says, I hear you and I'll fire off the propane. They kind of go back and forth using the Twitch chat as the communication protocol. Cool. So it would be one thing if I just set them up so that my collaborator, Kay, could just plug them in and they worked all day, but I'm not quite that confident. So I'm using the service that I talked about way back. And actually, I think the CEO of Remote It tweeted at us, but we're using that service so that I can SSH through my terminal in Chicago and I can actually watch the status of both of the pies. It's like a design for something no one's ever going to see except for me, you know? And I think we've talked about that before too, but I just found it enormously satisfying. So it made me think about that part in Jurassic Park when Nedry, spoiler alert for Jurassic Park, but he's the one who hacks the system. So when he hacks it and they try to break his hack or something, you know, in movie language, like a little animation of him pops up and he's saying, uh-uh-uh, like it's an animation of his face. And I, I really felt that that Nedry energy when I was coding this little like ASCII GUI that's really just for me. That's cool. You know, Taylor, I've never seen Jurassic Park. <laughs> oh my God, I just spoiled it for you. Sorry. I won't remember what you said, so it's okay. <laughs> Jurassic Park is, it still really stands up in terms of effects and just the arc of the drama and so forth. You should really check it out. There's a bunch of those movies like that, that they came out at a certain time in my life that I just missed that whole like window of when was Jurassic Park? Do you know when it came out? Let me let me look it up. A buddy of mine, I don't know if he worked on it or he had a friend. I think the dude that designed all of the animatronic 
dinosaurs is named like Spaz, I think is his name. Here, hang on a second. 1993 Jurassic Park. Wow. Were you a, a baby dev at that point or was that just a twinkle in your eye? I was too cool for school in 1993 for sure. Yeah. Is that when you gave yourself your own Tony Hawk things? Yeah, uh, no, in 93, let's see. I hadn't yet moved to Chicago. I don't think. Maybe that is the year I moved to Chicago. Oh, were your Tony Hawk bangs like 89 or something? Yeah, that was 89. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to grow them out again. Hey, really? Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. We'll see what happens. You're going to let them come down or are they going to stay vertical? They, they've they fallen. They have fallen. I should send you a picture of myself, Taylor. I look like a different human. On your 50th birthday, your mohawk will just deflate. Deflate? <laughs> a funny geriatric punk rock story. Yeah. Listeners of this podcast might know the famous punk rock band, The Exploited. Taylor, do you know The Exploited? I don't. Too cool for me, man. Oh, yeah, cool. They were from England, which made them like incredibly cool. And Wadi, the lead singer of The Exploited. Oh, no, they're not from England. That was a super mess up. Oh, my gosh. They're from Edinburgh, Scotland. Anyway, he's contractually obligated by his record label to have his signature red mohawk. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. And he also has a receding hairline. And so <laughs> his mohawk... Is it just on the back of his head now? Yeah, starts further and further back <laughs> on his head. And uh, we'll put a picture in the show notes. Rob, are you going Normcore? I, I feel like this is the point in the show where we have a little beep and everyone can look at a picture of your bangs. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, I'll put a picture of my bangs in there. Yeah, sure. No problem. <laughs> Why not? I'll put a picture of Wadi in there also. Oh, no, he was hospitalized. Now I feel bad for for poking fun at him. Oh, I mean, it's. I don't think you said anything mean. Plus, it's punk rock, baby. No, that's true. Didn't he, like, spit in your mouth 20 years ago or something? <laughs> Isn't that what you do at punk rock shows? Spit in each other's mouths? It is. Spitting on each other is definitely a part of it, yeah. Is that regarded as an aggressive act, or is that like a intimate, we're sharing fluids kind of thing? It's kind of a... Por que lo, no los dos. What is it? It's like a, um, yeah, it's, there's some kinship involved. Yeah. Moshing is similar. Yeah, exactly. In the, that's exactly right. In the mosh pit sort of way. Like, you're not in the mosh pit to deliberately hurt anyone, mm -hmm. but everyone's in the mosh pit to get a little bit hurt. Yeah, to get a little charge. Good question. Yeah, the spitting. Yeah. It's like a cultural thing. It's like, it's like spitting on one another is not a thing that <laughs> an outsider might understand, but an anthropologist would have a really good time with. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> yeah, Rob, what are you making right now? I've been deep in like UX and user interfacing and design land lately. Mm -hmm. um, I've also been deep in the, the music making stuff. Nice. Which is good. Taylor, you've been casually asking me for more of my musical creations, and I so far have resisted your requests. That's a very nice way of saying nagging, Rob. Uh -huh. I, think you, I think you just mispronounced nagging. Uh -huh. You sent me a folder full of other people's music. I thought that was a pretty funny move there. Yes. So so Taylor asked me for music, and I thought I thought you meant Taylor. Just were curious about what I was listening to. And so I sent you that. And what's funny, Taylor, here's this is an insight into my brain, yeah. is you, you asked me, and then for two days, I was like, what should I send Taylor? What would he like? I just like rolled it around in my head for days being like, what what am I listening to that, that would really be something that Taylor would think was interesting? Like, <laughs> and so I spent like days just kind of rolling around, and then I would like casually look through my Spotify and through my local playlists and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, you know, I'll just send him. I've been downloading a lot of Electro from two different labels. Trust is one of the labels that I like a lot. And so I sent it to you, and then you're like, oh, I wanted your music. I was like, oh, rats. <laughs> but you were gracious about it. Oh, I'd, I mean, I want to hear the other stuff, too. Yeah. I think the thing that I'm I'm struggling with, this is a, a classic 
music creator problem is you create riffs, but it's very hard to turn those into songs. Maybe it's sort of like writing a good long blog post or something where you're like, I have all these ideas, but I haven't really woven them together into a cohesive whole. Dude, let me Rick Rubin you, man. Well, yeah, you have a lot of the beard and stuff. It would take a few more years probably to get the full Rick Rubin going on. I was toying briefly with the idea of becoming purposefully obese so I could get my COVID-19 shot. But it turned out that I've I've got a little bit of a ways to go in the BMI. When you're this tall, uh-huh. you got a lot of places to hide it, man, let me tell you. Yes, that's that's very true. Take more than a couple burgers to make that happen. But Yeah. I think the guy from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia got totally ripped for one season. And he, I think he gained like 60 pounds for a different season Whoa. of fat. But he said the only way to do it, because he just could not bring himself to eat that many calories, was his assistant had to buy a tub of ice cream every morning and leave it on the counter. And then in the afternoon, he would come by and just drink it when it was all melted. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds awful. It does sound awful. So I've been working in AR for a really long time. And recently, I've been working on some just mobile app design stuff. It's been really nice to, you know, it's always kind of nice, to, I guess, to shift gears a little bit. But I've been really just enjoying reconnecting with 2D UI and sort of how that feels. Sure. I have a couple of things that I think are fun to share. One of them is a thing that I forget now how I heard about this. And like super font nerds will totally know about this. But there is an open source font creation software application. Mm-hmm called FontForge. And I was like, wow. Oh, yeah. I think I'm familiar with that. Yeah. That's really cool. It looks great. It's really cool to see a tool like purpose built for a specific task. You know, I feel like we get that so rarely these days. You know, someone's going to be like, well, why don't you just open Photoshop or something? And it's like, this is a tool that's like created specifically to make fonts. And it's really cool tool. So if you go to fontforge.org, you ever want to make your own font, you can get get your typeface on. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Do you think you can do a handwriting font in that, or is it more about vector design? Interestingly enough, there's a different tool for creating your own typeface with your handwriting, and it actually allows you to go in and like adjust it over time and stuff. I heard about it on the Cool Tools podcast. I bookmarked it somewhere. Let me see if I can find it. Trying to see if I can beat you to it. Yeah. Sometimes I challenge my students to ask me a question. I'm like, well, I'm just Googling it just like you. Let's see who can do it first. (laughs) Although I'm probably the sucker because they probably just sit there and wait. (laughs) You win, Professor Hokutsen. Good job. I found it. Ah, you did it. I'm cheating, though, because Google knows I've been here before. So, you know, I threw it up top. A calligrapher, C-A-L-L-I-G-R-A-P-H-R. Calligrapher. It is a service, but it's pretty cool in that like the service lets you go in and tweak, which is kind of nice. You can go in and be like, I thought all my A's were shaped this way, but and you can like put variable lettering in there. You know, like the A won't be the same every time. Mm-hmm. It's really nice. I messed around with the get started free experience, but I haven't dug in. The beauty of a handwriting typeface to me is it really sort of removes intentionality from your writing. Usually if someone's looking at a design comp, they kind of think everything on the screen is what you intend to be built, you know? Where with a handwriting typeface, it's very easy to understand, like, this is their notes. It's not part of the design. Although I imagine the layout is still very regimented in that classic UX way. And you also get all the wonderful aspects of digital stuff, like spell checking and copy paste and stuff like that, which is nice. If it's more about having, like, a font that's more like you, perhaps you could also have your own uh, spell check dictionary for the words you tend to transpose and that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, right. Do you use any of those services like Grammarly or any of that kind of stuff? No, I mean, you've talked about them. So Outlook does some of that uh, automatically now, right? They've integrated some of those features. Yeah, I just saw today that Microsoft launched some kind of plugin for Chrome. 
for that. At least in the email writing, I noticed when my institution upgraded accounts or whatever. Oh, did you hear that Microsoft's under some kind of giant attack right now? Has that been resolved? Oh, I did hear about that, that uh, like Azure Web Services and stuff was getting hammered. Yeah, this semester I tried to get all my students to move off of the content management system and onto OneDrive because that's a service that we have. And OneDrive just completely shit the bed, like in the middle of us trying to do that. Anyway, I, I digress. But yeah, so Outlook was recommending a bunch of changes to my emails. And at a certain point, I felt like, yes, all the changes it was recommending were probably more proper, but they made me just feel like a robot. Yeah, right. I turned it all off because it just it kept telling me not to make what I considered to be flourishes of writing that were more like me. Right. Yep. So for that reason, I wasn't so into it. But I, I could imagine the use case. I used it applying for certain jobs that require a lot of writing. I do it because I feel like the people who are reading that are so ready to scrutinize my writing that I feel like I'm, I'm willing to give up on myself a little bit. But I, I agree with you. Like I would definitely, in some cases, try to hang on a little bit to my own style what's a robism that you feel like grammarly would remove oh wow i mean there's definitely some flaws i have like grammarly would often say like hey dummy you put the end of the sentence first and then you put the beginning of the sentence at the end that's my most common mistake for sure i tend to write a lot of compound sentences which is not a shock if, if for listeners who've heard me talk and so that's i think we're still waiting on a period from the beginning of the show yeah <laughs> Oh, Taylor, speaking of, I just looked up recently, like, the world's longest written sentences. Have you ever looked at these? Isn't there a whole book that's just one sentence? Oh, let's see. I might be thinking about those, the ones, like, where the dude just didn't use the letter E. Yes. What's his name? Can you remember his name? Oh, no idea. Longest English sentence. There's some that are longer in other languages, for sure. Mm Mm-hmm. Wikipedia just gave me the longest prison sentences. <laughs> oh, wow. USA. Let's see if I can find... One of them is in Moby Dick, unsurprisingly. Have you ever read Moby Dick, Taylor? Not to put you on the spot about what you have and haven't read. Oh, feel free. I, I think I was required to read it at some point. I don't know how much I actually read slash internalized, but I either either that or I was watching the X-Files and wanted to know why Scully's dog was named Queequeg. Uh-huh. So that might be the only Moby Dick I looked into, but I, I'm I'm vaguely aware of the plot and so forth. Why why do you ask? Just because it has a long sentence. Yeah, I haven't read it. I feel read mouse first. Read mouse first. Okay, good. I guess Faulkner's got one of the longest proper sentences, one thousand two hundred eighty-seven words. Uh, here's whoa. Here's Andrew Montgomery's. I bumped into a lady once, praised as the longest single sentence. It contains just thirteen words, but when quoting, it sounds like half pages worth of material. What does that mean? Yeah, I don't know. Hmm, we'd have to look into that. The beauty of this example is that the writer doesn't need to waste a lot of time trying to describe how she bumped into her. All she has to do is use the words she has chosen to describe her memory of that event. Okay, this is what happens when you just Google something at random. Sometimes you just come up with word salad. I have a couple more design things to share, Taylor, if you want to hear about those. Sure, yeah, yeah. One of them is really useful. I kind of stumbled upon it. If um, there's any like UX, UI people out there, you're often doing a thing creating like a persona. So like you're kind of creating a fake person that's representative of a group of people. There's a really great site called generated.photos that are photos created by an AI. They're like not real humans. And it's really great because one, it's a really good resource if you're just like, I want to find people from all across the world. They have all these different kind of variations that you can look at and age groups and stuff. And it's really good for finding, lately I've been trying to find like persona images for different kid group so like 12 year olds 15 year olds etc etc and that 
is really dicey. <laughs> like, as an adult, like, yeah, you don't want to be crawling for random images of young kids on the internet and just storing them on your laptop. Like, that's gross. <laughs> so getting AI created ones is really nice because you know those people don't exist and that you're not sort of violating any privacy or whatever. And they, and they say, like, generated photo in the lower left-hand corner, which is nice, too. So kind of everybody knows, like... It's also interesting. So we're talking about faces here that are that do not exist, but are meant to look photographic. I'm looking at the uh, the generating terms, and for example, ethnicity only includes white, black, Latino, and Asian. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, it is. It is a little bit constrained right now. Mm -hmm. It's also really interesting because I'll grab photos, and then if I'm looking at some kind of globalized personas, right? So it's like, oh, maybe I need someone from Croatia or whatever. And then it's like, how do you understand someone for, how do I complicate that, but also represent that, you know, like, so it's uh, interesting, interesting. Like if I want to show someone from Japan, I could show someone who's Afro descendant, right? Like they don't have to be, they're just living in Japan. They don't have to be, you know what I mean? Like it's complicated and interesting, like trying to figure out like, how do I represent people of all cultures all across the world? Uh, it's thorny, but it's fun. It's fun. I was just listening to an interview with the director, and I'm not sure if his, forgetting the names of the people involved, but so that the director of Soul, right, the animated movie, is a white guy. And so when they decided to make this story that would feature black characters, they wanted to hire a black author, right? Part of it, too, is the guy is the right age, and he lives in New York. So he checked a lot of boxes, but he said when he got the call, and he knew it was from Pixar, but he didn't know what it was about. He just knew instantly, oh, it's, you know, it's because they need a black person on the team. And then at the same time, he was trying to describe why that actually made him really excited. You know, so he didn't want to be tokenized, but he felt like it was a half step towards what things should be. And he didn't want to look at the negative, like the cynical take on that when he dove into it. It was just, it was really cool hearing someone trying to parse that because the distance between here and getting it perfect, as if that'll ever happen, is definitely going to involve doing some stuff that gets A right, but B less than perfect, right? Yeah, right. That just re reminds me of the challenge that you're dealing with, which is a, a good challenge to wrestle with. It's fun to feel like nervous, but in a good way about like what you're doing, which is nice. Oh, I have a music link also, Taylor, to share. Mm -hmm. Let's hear it. There's this cool collection of people who make DJ sets of different genres. It's called Nudes, N-O-O-D-S, radio.com. Not N-U-D-E-S, N-O-O-D-S. It's out of Bristol, England. They have tons of stuff coming all the time. They have like footwork mixes, synth pop, UK garage, acid house, jazz, jungle, experimental. They have like everything. Really great to listen to and just check out new music. And there's playlists in there, which is a thing I really like because I want to know often what the music is, not just that someone's playing it. Yeah, it's kind of amazing that we didn't used to have access to that information just immediately. Or you'd have those funky, I love that sort of in-between technology where the radio gets enough of a digital signal that it can actually list album information and so forth. That always blew my mind. Like a carrier frequency kind of thing. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, yeah. Also, man, I'm just, I'm going down the rabbit hole with your generated dot photos. Another thing you can do is you can search for all, you can search for beautified, or you can search for natural, <laughs> which presumably is the opposite of beautified. Oh, fascinating. Yeah, so if you look up like female photos that are natural or beautified, it's pretty interesting to see what they regard as fitting into one category and the other. Interesting. And I don't really understand... I mean, I guess if you're using them for commercial use, like say you want to use them in a print ad or something, that I guess is where people probably are like, okay, it's 20 bucks a month. That's what I'm going to do. 
for me, I'm just using them for like non-commercial use. It's just interesting. Like, it's like, oh yeah, there are tons of people in the world who need an image of a human, <laughs> you know? Sure. Do you ever look at the um, uh, the subreddit fellow kids? There's fellow kids and there's advertising fails, but both of them tend to be examples of corporate entities trying a little bit too hard, trying to integrate memes and stuff into advertising. So every once in a while, somebody will put in an example of a company really doing it right. And one of the ones that generated some fierce controversy was Kraft Macaroni and Cheese had an advertisement that said send nudes, which was N-O-O-D-S. And then there was a, a pixelated picture of a bowl of steaming noodles. <laughs> Just to close the loop for anyone that's not following, right? Send nudes as in S-N-U-D-E-S that refers to photographs of naked people. So I, I thought that that was great. So some people seem to think that it was too corporate, but I don't know. I, I appreciate that one. Wait, what do you think, Rob? Was that a success? It must have been from Europe or something, right? Do you know where the ad ran? They're always a little bit more racy. That could be. We tend not to get away with that kind of stuff around here. Our puritanical uh, whatever's gets in the way. Oh, here, craft backtracking after send nudes. They canceled it after a backlash. This was back in October. It's just a really good photograph, too. Oh, my God. Who, who would get upset about that? They introduced the promotional campaign tied to National Noodle Day. Did you know that October 6th is National Noodle Day? That's a very important holiday for many people. Yeah. The more you know. This is not okay, one respondent said. Do you realize a huge proportion of people who actually eat your mac and cheese are children? <laughs> Switching to Annie's Organics. I don't know, Rep. Yeah. The Puritanism is such a bummer. Another thing I don't know if I've talked about before is that I'm teaching a class called Speculative Sex next uh, semester. Oh, you're teaching it. You had mentioned it a little bit to me in passing. It's awesome. What are you feeling about it? Oh, I'm just, you know, I, I'm trying to get myself in that headspace. And, and even as a, I would like to think a pretty open-minded person, I think I'm going to have to really remind myself not to be all giggly and embarrassed about talking about this stuff. So as much as I criticize it, I've probably internalized a little bit of that American Puritanism. But Rob, you've got a hard out. I do. I'm aware. I do. Yeah. Uh, listener, we'd like to send you an opposable thumb sticker. If you share a podcast episode on social media, rate us on iTunes, send smoke signals or some other cool thing to let people know about the podcast, we will mail you a sticker. Just contact us on our Instagram at opposable underscore podcast or at our email opposable podcast at gmail.com. We'd like to give a shout out to Wesley Ellis, Sean McBride, Adam Mayer, Deb Chatra, Blondie Hacks, Nick Kantar, Walter Katendu and david bellhorn they're our top patreon supporters if you'd like to join them in our league of patreon supporter badasses please go to patreon.com slash opposable thumbs to sponsor us anything you can donate really helps keep us going also side note uh shout out to walter Knew, who i just saw won an award or a grant mm -hmm. if you call out every one of his grants it's going to be a long show I, yeah his, his work <laughs> yeah that so dude good. really really racks him up talented guy our podcast is dedicated to providing a harassment-free experience for everyone, regardless of race, gender, age, sexual orientation, disability, physical appearance, body size, knowledge of subject matter or religion, or lack thereof. We actively support an inclusive environment, and we want you to be a part of it. You can check out our full code of conduct over at our site. Taylor, this is episode 100. Dude, we did it. We did it. We can now... I always heard that after your 100th episode, you can stop caring about the number. Oh, yeah? I'm not too worried about it, but yeah, maybe maybe it'll clear up a little space in the old noggin. I know. I was like, well, I don't really think about it too much, but it is kind of a nice... It's just a number, man. It's sort of like the new year. Like, it's completely random, yet also somehow reaffirming. Everything's different right now. I'd also like to do a quick shout out to... I got two great gifts in the mail. Dave Bauer sent a print to me of our... Uh, yeah. uh, what was it? Marching 
marching decrepitude. Decrepitude, And then uh, Deb Chatra sent uh, me an awesome sticker and some glass beads that she made for my kid. It was an awesome week for the mailbox. I got to start paying it forward. That's great. That's really cool. Yeah, more mail art. Taylor, we did it. Episode 100. Congratulations. Now time to do some long division. That's right. Calculus (laughs) or whatever it is you're at.